0: Hi, I'm Jeff Brazier, and this is the NL Full Time podcast.
1: Welcome to this week's NL Full Time. We're back once again, and it's no surprise. It's been a pretty crazy week. We're going to talk all about that during this pod. And joining me to digest everything is Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Hi, Luke. Hi, Rob. You're very chipper. I am. I'm quite surprised at that. We'll find out later on <laughs> uh, how, you, how you are really feeling. And uh, joining me as well is Tom Lang. Hello, Tom. You are right, Luke?
0: You are right, nice.
1: Chris Pratt isn't here, but one person who is, is Dickie Wharton.
2: Hello, Dickie. Hi there, Luke. Hi, Rob. Hi, Tom. So oh, well he
0: sounds like his
3: team's just been relegated. What's going on here?
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're <laughs> in
3: the
4: playoffs, Dickie. Come on. Cheer <laughs> up, mate.
3: More enthusiasm.
1: What we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll head back to, to midweek because uh, I went to... Uh, FA 11 game as, as part of the celebration of the 125 years of the Bedfordshire FA and uh, I caught up with Ollie Bayless who commentates for BBC Three Counties Radio and uh, he chatted about Boreham Woods' season so far. So we're here tonight at the uh, Bedfordshire FA uh, anniversary game, 125 years and they're playing an FA 11 in England, sort of an England it's managed by English sea manager Paul Fairclough. Uh, and in the press box alongside me is uh, Ollie Bailey, who commentates on Boreham Wood for uh, BBC Three Counties Radio. And Ollie, um, after the high of play a final last year for Boreham Wood, a bit of an underwhelming season this year.
5: Yeah,
6: it really has been. I mean, the Wood lost a lot of key players over the summer and didn't really replace them. If you look at the, the likes of Bruno Andrade, they went on to Lincoln. Um, Grant Smith in goal as well, a really good goalkeeper for National League level, went to Lincoln as well. And a few players they lost on loan that they had last season, uh, Falevi, the youngster from Watford, uh, Morgan Ferrier as well, went to Walsall. Basically, the the best five or six players left the club in the summer after that playoff final defeat, and they haven't really been able to replace them this season. A few loanees that have come in and done all right in spits and starts, but haven't really lead up to the quality we hope they would so yeah quite an underwhelming and disappointing season for Boren with this time around.
1: In terms of Luke Garrard he can be quite honest in his assessment at times and do you think that filters through to his players maybe?
6: Yeah I mean he's a he's a brilliant manager to interview from a, a media point of view he always says what he thinks and he's never afraid to criticise his players and to say when he feels like he himself's been let down by them and by their performance. I think Part of the issue they have is they've got a mixed bunch of a few players who are really experienced and perhaps maybe a year or two beyond their their prime and a lot of young players and a lot of young players who have come in from the likes of Peterborough, they've got um, Idris Kanu there at the moment and Justin Shaibu, youngsters from the Football League. And I don't know if necessarily his approach perhaps gets the best out of those sort of players, that sort of quite honest, fiery character that he is perhaps doesn't always nurture the young talent.
1: What what is the aspirations for Bournemouth as a club? Because obviously, as I said, they got to the play final last year. They, were, they lost to a James Norwood-inspired Tranmere. This year, they've just stayed above relegation. I mean, do you think sort of top tens more Bournemouth will sort of place in the National League, if you like? I mean, I mean has the, this season been like a disappointment? Is it, or do you think that's about where they are at
6: the minute? I think it's probably where they are in terms of a fan base and a budget and a size of the club. I think the chairman uh, is always very keen to reiterate, Danny Hunter, that. If you look at the, uh, the gate receipts and you look at the money they put in, and you look at the playing budget, it's nowhere near you. your Solford, your Leighton your your Barnets, your huge budgets in that league. So actually where they are in terms of surviving relegation, which I think they will do this season, it's probably a decent achievement for a club of that size. They're year in, year out, more or less getting the, the lowest gate receipts in the National League. Um, so I think anything beyond avoiding relegation is probably a decent achievement. The issue is that last season they so overachieved and they had that dream run to Wembley and they had a good FA Cup run as well last season. And everything else feels a little bit like a come down and an climax but... Off the field, the club are putting loads of money into youth development, into infrastructure. They're building, building... a new stand, aren't they? Yeah. They're building a new stand. I mean, the pitch is one of the best pitches in non-league football. I mean, it, it would make plenty of League One, League Two groundsmen jealous. That a deal they've got with Arsenal ladies and the investment and the hell that they put into the pitch and into the ground means that it's it's a really good forward-thinking club but at the moment i think they' in terms of the size and the wage budget and the sort of players that they can attract they're probably a little bit short of pushing on for a promotion and, and going to football league again anytime soon i think
1: i was going to say so next season i'm guessing is more in terms of uh, who they
6: lose and who they bring in into over the summer i'm guessing I think one thing that concerns me is lots of those players for Borham Wood have been signed on to a two-year contract, which felt like a, a good thing in November when the club were playing quite well on the field yeah. to announce that all oh, they've signed in another year. But actually, now you look around that team and you think, well, a lot of these players are not really doing it. And actually, they're, they're tied to another year. So how much flexibility there is to bring any other players in yeah. to help them, I don't know. But I think that might perhaps be a little bit of a concern that actually... I don't know how much wiggle room there is in terms of budget and bringing in other players to improve the squad that much next season to really push on and, and be challenging in the, the sort of top half in, in the playoffs next season.
1: And that was Ollie Bayliss. And, and also after the game, I had a quick chat with Paul Fairclough. He invited me into the dressing room, which was an interesting experience, it was fair to say. So it was a very quick chat with Paul Fairclough and, and he gave us his thoughts not only on the, what happened on the evening, but also on the National League title race. So, Paul, obviously it was a bit of a celebration tonight, weren't you, here for the, the Bedfordshire 125th anniversary?
4: Yeah, a fantastic uh, achievement, and we, uh, the lads had their pre-match meal in their, in their new uh, accommodation over in Dunstable. Wonder, wonderful place, really good. They really looked after us, so, yeah, a really nice occasion. And in terms of the, the game itself, good comeback for you in the end? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not about the results, um... It's about performance, you know, which I've alluded to before. And we had lots of good young players playing the game the way it should be played. And uh, the performance was, for me, it was outstanding. You know, a group of lads come together, played great football.
1: And just turning your attention to the National League, uh, the Leighton Orient have won tonight, gone top, two points clear. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? Who do you think is going to win it?
4: Well, do you know, uh, it's getting extremely tight now. I mean, it's uh, one slip up from anybody, and, and they've had it. I mean, Late Orient. You know, they've had a few different time the last few games, but they've had a good win tonight. Uh, I think they, they've gone above Salford now, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, two points clear. So, listen, I wouldn't like to say, but I would say obviously it's favouring favoring Oriens at the moment.
1: That was Paul Faircuff. We'll get on to the National League title race shortly, but unfortunately, Rob, I've got to start at the bottom. The relegation issues were decided over the weekend. We now know the four teams that are going down and unfortunately for Aldershot and Haven't, it, uh, it was the end of the road on Saturday.
3: Yeah, I think it's been uh, a long, slow, painful death for Aldershot, probably for having too. And uh, both of them led at times yesterday and, and, and both uh, sort of uh, harboured hopes of uh, taking it at least for one more week. But ultimately the result of the day, the comeback of the day was at, was by Dover. You know, you took their longest away trip of the season and came from 2 nil down to... To win 3 2 at Barrow. And boy, boys, what, what a happy journey home that must have been for Dover yesterday.
1: Yeah, twenty twenty-five away fans went up to Barrow yesterday. And uh, Karen Barry, who's a fan of the podcast, she got in touch, well, she got in touch about half past five yesterday afternoon <laughs> and she was uh, she was a hoot with that. But one, what a comeback that is. And two, what a great job Andy, Andy Hessenthal has done. I know he's changed the structure of everything, but they were rock bottom when he took over.
3: Yeah, he's done a fantastic job and he'll be mightily relieved too as well. Uh, congratulations to Dover. You know, when this last business end of the season comes along, some teams just really roll their sleeves up and get going and get a bit of momentum. Maidenhead did it for a couple of weeks, didn't they? They Ultimately, they slipped again, but they kind of 10 points out of 15. They picked up in their run, kept them safe. Warren would have uh, kind of dribbled and squirmed their way to safety, but an excellent uh, win for them yesterday to secure their status at Harrogate uh, Town. A 1-0 win there. Luke Garrard would be delighted with that. But uh, ultimately, haven't and Waterlooville down and, uh, and Aldershot down. And, and those two teams can, uh, like Braintree and and they can begin to make their plans now, you know, for the next season.
1: Yeah, and well done too, Bournemouth, as we heard from Ollie, It's been a bit of a an up and down season, not a season you would have expected. And as he said, a lot of players are, they are on contract for next season as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they develop um, but as we said, with, with Aldershot one stage, they got off to the dream start. After 10 minutes, Rhys Grant scored. And I know Gary it was saying it was kind of the story of Aldershot's season because you didn't finish Hartlepool off, did they, in the end?
3: No, I mean, Rhys Grant is one shining light for Aldershot town right now. Him and Alex Finney are the only two contracted players for next season. He was Johnny on the spot for his goal as he was last week at Bromley and that's 12 now for the season, 6 at Braintree, 6 at Aldershot. Uh, he hasn't played too much, really. His goals to games ratio at Aldershot is pretty good. Uh, you know, for one reason or another, he's not played uh, as many games. But uh, in terms of getting down to the nitty gritty and the reality of it, Aldershot did what they often do: they promise so much and deliver so little. Um, it's been really really tough to take the whole season obviously myself Gary Scott Rendell who uh, we'll hear from in a minute um, all the supporters and board and everything are really really hurting at Aldershot it's just felt almost like whatever they did it's been written for so long boys and uh, you know ultimately uh, we were prepared for it but it still hurts like hell all Aldershot can do now is uh, get their heads together make the tough decisions is Gary staying or going uh, are they full-time or part-time? I think I know the answer to the second one. A um, couple of chats I've had off the record with with, with Shahid. The Aldershot Town chairman uh, suggests that uh, they've done their number crunching, uh, at least for the following season. I think Aldershot Town probably will stay full-time. It remains to be seen if Gary Woddick
1: is still in charge or not. Interesting. Well, we'll hear from Scott Rendell and he caught up with Rob and he had a, a what's, I don't know what the word to use is really a, a post-mortem in a way about how the season's gone.
7: I'm joined by Aldershot Town Captain Scott Rendell. No other way to start the interview. Aldershot Town are relegated and boy, how are you feeling? Like I've said in many interviews, you can keep the positivity until it's
8: it was mathematically gone and obviously now we're done um, still very raw
7: it's very very sore that's for sure um, it hurts a lot a hell of a lot For long periods today Scott the supporters the management the players whatever, dared to dream about the impossible and it was going so well wasn't it at half time with Aldershot ahead Dover behind and uh, potentially it was, it was going to Good Friday at least one more week Yeah I think that game encapsulated our second half of the season if you like we've
8: been in every game I think since probably the start of February we've been in every single game we have a very good chance of winning it we're in control of the game first half um, we've had some golden golden chances but like I said that's the story of our season that is why we, we are where we are it's, it's here it's, it's, it's reality already. yeah it is Um it's
7: confirmed the first one of your career yeah it is
8: and it, like I say it's, it's raw still but
7: Christ, it's very, very sore. It's a horrible feeling. I hate it. Ultimately, Scott, I guess, and we've talked about it so many times this season, it's what happens at both ends of a football pitch. And whilst Aldershot have conceded a lot less goals in recent weeks, the one problem that's dogged Aldershot throughout the season is the lack of goals. You've ended the season joint top scorer with seven. I know you won't be happy with that. I know what you feel. One or two were harshly ruled out or whatever. But uh, as an attacking force, Aldershot Town have just not done it this season?
8: No, you're right. Uh, I'll be first to hold my hands up. I, may, I missed a fair, fair chunk of the season, but still no excuse. The games I've played in, it's a poor return, the worst of my career by far. Um, and I'm sure that the other forward boys in there feel the same because, it's, it's like you say, it's poor all round. Football's running in both boxes, evidently, and we haven't been good enough in both boxes because... When when, you, when we've kept clean sheets, we've probably ended up drawing half of a nil. 0 um, And today, like I say, encapsulates everything about our season. We've had golden chances, put the game to bed if you like at 1-0. As long as it stays 1-0 there in the game, and the longer that second half went on, I think even the more avid shot fan would have been on tenterhooks because the, the goal looked like it was coming. To be honest, you look at where we've been in the last two years, and obviously you can't look back or live in the past, but. From where we've gone last year, we've obviously lost key players over the summer and this group of players right now, we haven't done enough. We've let the club down, we let the fans down, we let the manager down, we let ourselves down. It was because our performances in general up until, like I said, start of February weren't nowhere near good enough. We got on a run of three months without a win, not good enough and that is why we found ourselves in the situation
7: we're in. Some players, Scott, will go back to their parent clubs, one or two others. They'll know the contract's up and there's not a future here and they'll find another club. For some others, notably yourself, who started at this football club, you're on your third spell here, including a loan spell. Do you, as skipper, as that person, feel a sense of responsibility to want to play your part in helping all the Town get back to this level next season or is it too early to say?
8: 100% hold me hands I'll be first to front anything. Uh, it's like you said, I started my career here. This is the club that I looked, I first started with, i looked at, I've always looked at results, whatever else. But to have your first relegation on your CV at a club that you love so much and care so much about, it does, a, and like you say, it's, it's raw, chats are going to happen in the next few weeks. I see where we go, but I'd love to be part of something to try and help this, this club get back to
7: where we just left. Gary Waddock. In your opinion, be be part of that, or is that pure speculation at this year? Yeah,
8: I'm. Um, I'm not commenting. On it. I don't. I don't know the ins and outs of what's going on up there. Um, I wouldn't even like to, like you say, make a comment because it'd be unfair at this time. But um, I'm sure there'll be a picture painted in the next couple of weeks, going forward, and um, and a plan set in place going into next year.
7: One thing you might be able to give your opinion on, Scott, you've played in and around this level of football for a while. Do Aldershot try and stay full-time next year or do they switch to a part-time model? I mean, obviously, the positive of that being that they could get the best of the part-time players available in football, or do they try and do what Torquay have done and bounce straight up with a full-time budget?
8: Like I say, there's different ways of doing it. Torquay have stayed full-time and look like... They've done it. There you go, they've gone mm. straight back up. I think working three days or whatever it is and... They they set the all up that way, but like I say, there's different ways. It's, it's it's not up for me to, to discuss how what this club does in the future. Um, Let's say it's all right now, but there'll be chats, conversations I'd imagine going on,
7: and mm-hmm. hopefully a plan,
8: a successful plan to put forward into to go into next year.
7: Well, thank you very much for joining us. We're we're sorry to share the news with you, and all the very best, Scott Rendell. Thank you.
1: And that was Scott Rendell, and you could you could tell the emotion from from both of you really, but more so from Scott Rendell, and even though, like you say, Rob, you know it's coming, when it finally happens, it, it still hurts, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, um, he's made reference a couple of times in recent weeks, he's never had a relegation, it hurts for it to happen, it hurts for it to happen at the club you started with, and a uh, difficult one, probably, for him to comprehend. I, to be honest, for five minutes before that interview, he was still at the bottom of the steps to the media box with two or three you know, people he knows well, and uh, it was just numb, and uh, I wanted to give him those few minutes, but equally. You know, from a journalistic and from a professional point of view, um, you know, I wanted to capture that raw emotion because uh, sometimes you've got to take that hurt in football, haven't you? And you've got to channel it and, and, and positively for you know for what for what lies
0: ahead. You talk about that. You've got to channel that positivity, etc. Um, and it's obviously difficult to start looking at next season so soon after. But any club in shots position is going to have to be. I'm guessing that in the uh, in the boardroom and in the manager's office, they're going to start planning for next season already. You've talked about Rhys Grant and the fact that he's contracted. Who else do you see actually sticking around next season? Who's going to be willing to play in National League South and who actually would Oldershot want to keep around?
3: It's a really good question. Just as a final parting shot, yesterday, I, I, I literally, as I left the ground yesterday, uh, I was just talking to the chairman. Um, in the manager's office and, and I made my leave because Gary came back and I shut the door on a pair of them and left them to chat and uh, it was a quite a symbolic moment for me I mean obviously what they discussed behind those doors and between the you know by by those four walls is, is down to them and we'll find out in due course I think who stays and how many stays depends a lot on whether Gary Waddock stays I think even if he does stay c- clearly you wouldn't want to have uh, the nucleus of that squad for next season um, even if you could keep them I think probably it, it, it'd be around about a half a dozen. I think they'd love to keep George Fowler, who's missed most of this season. I think Nick Arnold, who's missed most of it too, might come into the reckoning. It might be a good place for him to restart his career. Um, there is a little bit of I, th- I don't think they're going to be able to hold on to players like Adam McDonald, who they would probably like to, and Lewis Kinsella, um, who I've gotten to know really really well because he's commentated on a number of the All Shot games. He's such a good pro, um, and he's on the verge of coming back from his injury now. Uh, And I suspect he'll get a club at a higher level. Probably maximum of six, Tom, to answer your question, but it might be less than that if a new manager comes.
1: Where does the blame lie for all of this, do you think?
3: Chiefly, it has to lie with Gary Waddock. He's been there three years. He knew what the budget was. He made the decisions on the players. He's been responsible for them all season. He took his share of responsibility yesterday. He'd like there to be a little bit more of a shared responsibility. He'd probably like a, you know, a little bit more in that in that area from, from, from the board and from the chairman. Um, and that's the debatable point, really. Um, for sure, Aldershot's budget compared to last season, compared to other teams, did mean that they were probably a lower half budget this season and it was very difficult for them to over-exceed expectations again. But equally through uh, the commercial manager's uh, golden ticket um, you know, fundraising, another 60,000 was raised. That's not an insif- ins- insignificant amount of money. Uh, and they were able to bring in the likes of Ella Kobe and many easy on loan for Bristol Rovers. But sadly, the one thing that's gone right through the season is the lack of Aldershot Town's ability to score goals. It's the lowest scoring uh, season in their history, and that's probably um, you know where where, it, where you have to look
9: most closely.
0: No, I've looked at these stats before earlier in the season, Rob, uh, where we talk about older shot's uh, uh, goal scoring abilities, and the fact that, as you say, Reece Grant is the top scorer with only uh, six for older shot, and he's joined in the joined at the top with Adam McDonald and Scott Rendell. Those are three players who should be scoring more than six goals a season, um, and the supporting yeah. cast hasn't been picking up the slack either. The next highest is Adam May with three, and then you're looking at people down with with two goals. Oh, no players in double figures is unfortunately relegation goal scoring, isn't it?
3: Yeah, 100. I think we've known it. You know, there's been distinct periods in all the shot season. I will make this the final point because obviously we need to move on to other to other teams. But the initial one, they lost key players: Reynolds, Evans, Alexander, Kellerman. Because they switched from 52 to a 48-week budget, so they kind of said to those players, look, we'd like you to stay, but by the way, is a month's less money. Those players were all able to go and get two-year contracts elsewhere on more money. They weren't able to find the quality to replace them. They had a distinct lack of leaders and experienced players in the first half of the season, then a horrendous injury problem. And quite frankly, in the last six, seven uh, games, just absolutely dogged with wretched bad luck. Where well, they should have won loads of those games, but didn't get across the line. Look, it sounds like a sorry uh, bunch of excuses, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, Aldershot Town will have to live to fight another day, and I guess the example they look to um, is Torquay, and we'll come on to them in our, uh, our National League South
0: Roundup.
1: Yeah, and for having Tom, I mean, it's not really been a problem in scoring goals for If They've scored two or three a game. It's just they've been letting as many in at the other end, haven't they?
0: Yeah, and, you know, what a surprise when you've got a team managed by a striker of the calibre of Lee, uh, Lee Bradbury that uh, the goal scoring is less of an issue than defensively. Um, they've got the second worst defensive record in the league after Braintree Town, who really, despite the fact they're now second bottom, have been really you know off the pace all season. I thought having and Waterloo would survive. Um, I thought they had enough in the squad. They've maybe chopped and changed a little bit more than they would have liked to. But I really hope they stick with Lee Bradley next season. I think two promotions on the bounce was probably just slightly too much for them. Um, but I hope they give them a chance to, to compete at National League South next season. And, you know, we'll come to this later in the show. But what a strong division that's going to be next year.
3: Great points you just made there, Tom. And and just finally on the Havert and Waterlooville and Aldershot Town side of things, Yes, they're both relegated, but one thing that won't be lost on either of them is that they want to do their level best to finish fourth, bottom, not third. At the moment, Aldershot are one point behind Haven, and, and you know the reasons why I'm saying this, and I've not mentioned any clubs specifically, but it's happened before. And uh, The two sides play each other on Easter Monday, so there is, as ever, as well as professional pride, as well as contracts, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, there is actually... Uh, a job still to be done in the remaining three games of the season.
1: Havens defeat came at Solihull Moors, and it was a good turnaround victory for Solihull and on a day as well when everyone else ran run around them, Salford kicked off the early kick-off on BT Sport with a, I think it was a fairly convincing, comfortable win over Maidenhead in the end. Wrexham they had a really good win down at Barnet who have been in good form recently and late in again with a late, late winner, Macaulay Bond with a penalty, making sure, again, they came from behind to claim all three points. And no, there's no quarter given at that top of the division, is there?
3: No. I mean, in quite an incredible week for Leighton, Orient. I think they've come back from behind in every single game. Three games in seven days or eight days. Credit to them for that. They're showing all the credentials that you need from potential title winners. And that late penalty from Macaulay Bond, makes a huge difference. It means that instead of waking up this morning and seeing it bang level on games, on points with Salford, they have a two-point cushion. And two points isn't a lot, but with three games to go, it it leaves them in control. And uh, congratulations to Salford, to Solihull Moors and to Wrexham as well for for getting the job done yesterday. And uh, they really pulled themselves away, those four, from the likes of uh, Fylde and Harrogate, who both slipped up, uh, yesterday um,
0: in games you didn't think they would I watched that Salford game thanks to the majesty of British Forces Broadcasting Service um, and they were they were so professional you know racing to a quick lead um, Adam Rooney was just too hot to handle all match um, and, and deservedly picked up the man of the match award from BT Sport they did the job so well in the first half the second half was one of the most difficult 45 minutes of football to watch because they just, they just killed the game um, they looked to hit um, Maidenhead on the break but gave Maidenhead absolutely nothing in the final third. Um, they, they could have played for about three weeks and Maidenhead wouldn't have scored in that second half. Um, really professional performance from Salford City. They're now top of the form tables over the last six. And probably one of the best talking points uh, down at Gander Green Lane was James Dayton's red card, um, which has got to be one of the weirder red cards I've ever read about. He got sent off whilst on the stretcher after being injured for throwing his boot at the referee.
3: Quite staggering that one, Tom. I I heard about that as well. And uh, I've seen Justin Edinburgh's interview and uh, I think he said the referee's got to take into account that he's just suffered a really, really bad injury. And uh, he also doesn't think that the boot was thrown at the referee. Uh, yeah, clearly a sign of dissent. I think a yellow card would have been more than appropriate in the circumstances. Yeah, it's
1: difficult without seeing the footage, really. And I suppose when everyone looks at it, it may well get overturned. But as you say, even if it does, I don't think James Dayton will be taking any part uh, in the rest of the season, unfortunately. Uh, in the playoffs, as you say, Rob, it was a strange result down at, at Braintree. No no pressure on Braintree at all. They haven't been great this year, but Fylde went there. Everyone expected him to win, in the, and they didn't win in the end. And Dave Challoner, he basically... He, he turned on the charm offensive a little bit. Normally, he's quite critical of the players, but he just said, look, we can't dwell on the defeat. But the away form is a concern for him as well. And um, you feel if they, they don't get like the home ties in the playoffs, that, that could be their undoing the away form again.
3: Yeah, I mean, they've got a four-point cushion for that home tie in the uh, first stage of the playoffs at the moment. And he, he's probably right to keep things positive right now because they've got the playoffs ahead of them. Uh, you know, they've got a a nine-point gap that suggests they're you know, they, they, they pretty much all by goal difference now. They're going to make the playoffs. And they've obviously got that FA Trophy final to look forward to as well. So he we needs to keep it positive and upbeat. But there was a bit of a division yesterday. The first real clear sign uh, with Eastleigh getting the job done against Gateshead and, and effectively ending Gateshead's playoff hopes. 1-0 there. Rita Johnson on target. Um, and then obviously uh, Sutton and Epsley both slipping up at home. Didn't see Dagenham going to Ebbsfleet and winning yesterday at all. Uh, so that was a bit of a surprise. But a massive dent in Ebbsfleet's chance. Four behind now with two to go. And and Sutton as well. One of my tips for the playoffs all season. And uh, they're running out of games too. It, it
0: must be so frustrating as a Braintree fan um, to have been, frankly, pretty awful all season. And now, since they've been relegated, they've picked up six points in nine, getting victories against Gateshead and AFC Fylde. Um, you know, where was that? fight and sort of drive to, to pick up the victories when they had a fighting chance of survival. Um, it's weird how that happens so often that the team, once the pressure's gone off and they've confirmed the relegation, if, you relegation, know, with the exception of Maidstone, apparently, they start to grind out these results. You just, there's been no consistency at all with Braintree. You could look at
3: it and fail well, they played without pressure, but um, they've had such a turnover of staff there this season as well, I think, to get it right one week and they get it wrong for the next three weeks you know you have to feel for them a little bit I did, did they get their approach to this year right i don't know you go right back to the start of the season Brad Quinton made a decision not to give contracts to his players he wanted to see who was going to cut it at this level or not and he ended up losing players
0: like help me out tom what was his name yeah, <laughs> McCoy went off to Bromley um, where he's he's actually just picked up another contract for next season and he's been an absolute bedrock for them um he was his captain, he'd been his captain all the way up through the divisions as well. So, huge loss and and one of many, as you say.
1: Of course, Rhys Grant left as well, didn't he, halfway through the season. Mo Betimer they had for a time as well. So, going to be another season of rebuilding for Braintree. I just wanted to point out, Tom, as well, props to eastley They had a difficult week, haven't they? Um, they've, they've been ahead in both games at Fylde and leighton and lost and they responded with a... A massive victory over I didn't he? And that keeps them in the playoff race.
0: Uh, yeah, it does. It, it's that you know, As we've talked about before, they could be on target to be the first team ever in National League history to make the playoffs with a negative goal difference.
1: Chris asked a question last week, didn't he, Tom? And I know you've been digging at that.
0: Yeah, so they would be the first team since the National League introduced playoffs to make it with a negative goal difference. Um, Morecambe would have been in the negative goal difference. They finished sixth with minus one. Uh, around about 20 years ago, but uh, there weren't the playoffs back in those days, so it would be a record for Eastley. Um And how much of that do they owe to Paul McCallum? You know, without his goal, is there uh, they'd be on minus 23 goal difference?
1: Yeah, Paul McCallum's been he's one behind Danny Rowe in the goal scoring charts, two ahead of macaulay Bonn. And well none of us we're going to look at our predictions later on and see how they're going on, but I don't think any of us. Would have picked up Paul McCallum at the start of the season, although Andy Hessenthaler did. I remember seeing an interview with him at the start of the season. He says, if you get the ball in the box, Paul McCallum will score goals. And, well, that's what they've been doing. A lot of them ahead of goals, aren't they?
0: But is that a prediction or is that just him trying to give his player a bit of a boost before the season starts? I I, I doubt if even he believed that he'd be right up there chasing Danny Rowe. picked out 10 players who I thought would be uh, in the conversation at the top, and Paul McCallum's not even in that list.
1: For strikers, it's all about confidence and the manager believing in you, and and, and you're almost going out being carefree, and Paul McCallum, it's been a really productive season for him.
3: Yeah, brilliant. I was just looking at it. 25 goals now, he's one behind Rowe. We'll have a look at our predictions in a minute. We're all in the race, but I don't think anyone's going to hit top draw. Nobody went for Rowe. Uh, But yeah, fantastic. I think he's always had this season in him, Paul McCallum, and uh, um, the glimpses I've seen of him uh, this season and previously, he he looks as if he's got it. I don't know quite why he's not been able to put it together consistently, but the right club, the right time and the right manager, as you say, Liz.
1: And finally, before we move on, Chesterfield are in a really good rich vein of farm. They beat made stone by four goals to one. And one of the goal scorers was Lawrence Maguire, brother of Harry. We caught up with him during the England Sea C- uh, feature that we did. But I also sat down with him and asked him about Chesterfield's season as a whole. So Lawrence, obviously Chesterfield got relegated last season. I saw you in a couple of early games and uh, you looked like you were going to really shoot up the table you know, and, and, and take the National League by storm. Not quite happened. You had that record, those draws where you are unbeaten but also didn't win for a while. I mean... Just tell us about the season as a
9: whole. Has it been a real frustration? Obviously at the start of the season we, we started really well and, and we went we went three wins out of three and, and everybody was tipping us to go and to go and romp the league, but obviously it's not that easy and people think coming down you, you you're gonna get back you're gonna go straight back up but now You've seen it with later Orient last year and, and they had a season where where people were writing them off and they bounced back this year to be to be leading. So yeah, it's obviously been frustrating for us as a club because we thought we could have done a lot better but uh, we've picked up recently, and, and hopefully we can stay in the division and, and kick on next year. Two different style of managers. You have Martin
1: Allen, who likes to play a bit more direct. Now you have got John Sheridan, you'll get the ball down more. But, but both demanding managers.
9: Yeah, definitely. Obviously, uh, Martin was was really good with me, and he, he played me a lot. And but he's, he's different type of style to to what the new gaffer's brought into the club, and and obviously something's been changed. So the results have changed on the pitch, and and obviously off the field. So. Um, now we've just got to carry on till the end of the season, see it through and stay in this league and, and then we will have a right go next year. There must be real excitement
1: because you've got a manager who's he's managed in the League 1, League 2, done really well in those divisions as well, so obviously he's, even though the first aim is to stay up, is to sort of looking towards next season now and really going from the get-go next season.
9: Yeah, definitely it shows, it shows the <laughs> ambition of the club, it's a big club to be down there in the conference and... To say the gaffers come come from Carlisle and, and drop down the lead to come and come and be the gaffer at Chesterfield, it, it shows something really good about which where we want to go and and what we want to be doing next year. Obviously, it's been a tough tough season, but but we're coming out of that now, and and now we're starting to look forward to next year. And and the gaffers straight on the mind is that we want to get promotion. And you've just signed a new contract as well at Chesterfield. I mean, so that keeps you there for
1: another couple of years. You must feel comfortable there.
9: Yeah, I love it, obviously. I've been there for a few years now and, and it's got a big place in my heart. Um, I've did my scholarship there and I've come through and, and to be honest, it's been tough times for me because I've had back-to-back relegations with the club, but for a personal note, for, for the people who keep coming in and offering me new deals, and I've just got to keep going and, and hopefully next year we we will give it a good go and, and instead of having a relegation, it'll be a, a promotion on my CV. That was
1: Lawrence Maguire in it. He's, he's, he's turned into a really good, really good performance and since he's moved into central midfield and and John Sheridan said that he's got some really tough decisions to make now I mean I think players like Tom Denton have won him over when he came in he wasn't in and around the squad under John Sheridan but he's now a regular starter getting goals and assists and it'll be interesting to see what Chesterfield do next season now Rob.
3: It will and I don't know if any of you guys feel the same but Chesterfield um, they remind me so much uh, in their first season at this level of Orient last year underestimated it, struggled badly early on, changed their manager and uh, finished really, really strongly. And uh, I think already based on their second or last third of the season and moving up to the top half now, 12th, I think they'll be installed pretty quickly as one of the two or three favourites for the title next season.
1: Yeah, it does look like they could do a Nori. There is, sort of like you say, Rob, mirror mirror images there. And it'll be interesting to see what recruitment they do. I think uh, John Sheridan's certainly going to get back. He wouldn't have gone there, I don't think, if he wasn't. So, yeah, watch out. I think there'll be some interesting signings going in there next season, along with some of the squad players who've, Impressed him, I think, since he's come in as well. So keep your eye on Chesterfield. I think we're all going to put that down as our tits for happening. We all know what our pre season predictions are already, I think.
3: (laughs) Yeah, but just remember two of you boys predicted Chesterfield for the title this year as
0: well.
1: Wasn't me, was it?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm still looking at a very unhappy bet on Betfair on that one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, looking at our
3: predictions at the National League Premier level. uh, first and foremost, Luke, stand up, take a bow, son. At the moment, it's looking like you because Leighton Orient was your prediction for the title. However, I'm just
1: uh, I'm just copying myself. myself here. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, unfortunately, Tom and Chris went for Chesterfield. I did go for Salford first, Orient second, and I think that deserves mention, doesn't it? I've got the top two. Bang on, right now, just in the wrong order.
1: Uh, it's not over yet. That race between us two, is it?
3: Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, in terms of the playoff race, well, uh, Chris has got two on uh, correct at the minute: Salford and filed and 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 you've got two right. You picked Salford and filed. I uh, didn't do quite as well in the rest of the predictions for the playoff. <laughs> and Tom, well, he's got filed Orient and Salford. So uh, I thought you were going to uh, say Tom had I'd,
1: Tom I'd had shot, Aldershot, Braintree, and Maidstone then. <laughs>
3: That's exactly right. No, no, nobody job. did it. Yeah. At the other end, nobody was brave enough to pick Aldershot or Maidstone to go down. Uh, we did all by yourself, Luke. Uh, Chris, myself and Tom, we all picked Braintree to go down. And that's the only one we got correct. Cover your ears, Chris Pratt. You predicted Solihull Moors to go down. <laughs> so did you, Luke. And so oh. did you, Tom. So you're laughing at yourself, all three of you. I did not I said they do way better. They do mid-table. Um, couple, uh, Three of us went for Barrow as well, and they're sat in 11th place at the minute. It just goes to prove what we say week in, week out on this podcast, boys. It's the most unpredictable league in the world.
0: And that's why you don't bet on it, Tom. Well, yeah, exactly. Bet on National League South, though, because Chelmsford's coming up for me. <laughs> we'll come to
3: that in your course, Tom. <laughs> to it up. Just finally on the uh, Golden Boot race, while Chris and Luke both pinned their shirts on Adam Rooney, and he's not completely out of it, but he's, I think, five behind now Danny Rowe. Nobody went for Danny Rowe, the top scorer last season. Uh, Tom, you went for Alfie Paving at and Waterloo. You predicted them to finish ninth as well, by the way. Yeah, it's uh, really on well. you. And, and I went for Macaulay Bon, who's, of course, not out of it and probably has the uh, most realistic chance of uh, of catching McCallum and Rowe.
1: Excellent. Well, we'll uh, we'll move on to the National League North now.
10: Hi, I'm Hakan Heyratin, and you're listening to the NL Full
2: Time Podcast.
1: And Dickie, if you pick yourself up from laughing at our predictions, <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I'm just. I was just thinking. I'm not sure I would necessarily have done any better. So um, we'll find out in due course, won't we?
1: Definitely. Well, in the North, we'll head back to midweek and. Chris went to Alfreton against Hereford. It finished one all, and he had an interesting chat with Alton striker Reece Steich, uh Caught up about what is, what's happened at Alfreton this season. Of course, he, made, he moved midway through the season from Darlington, and also about international honours with Gibraltar.
10: Right, I'm sat here with Reece Stich at, at the end of the game. It was ended up Alfreton one, Hereford one. Reece, he didn't get on the pitch, but it was a good response from the lads, wasn't it?
11: Yeah, I think especially going down a goal down. A lot of the uh, past games, we we haven't reacted as well as probably what we could have done. Um, but yeah, we've Penn's scored a, a good goal, um, and we've come back to draw. I thought we was the better team, to be fair, over the the nine minutes. So yeah, probably disappointing we didn't win the game.
10: Yeah, you nearly went on and won, won it, didn't you? With a yeah. couple of uh, good good free kick opportunities yeah. and stuff.
11: Uh, and I, to be fair, they could have had a they could have they could have won it right there. I'll say the last ten minutes of the game, they hit the post. But I think, like you say, on the balance of play over the full ninety minutes, I think, I think we deserve the win. But you know, a point after Saturday's game, so it's it's a good reaction.
10: And obviously, this isn't the only place you play. You also play for the Gibraltar national team. What are the differences between the
11: two? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's dis- disrespectful because it's you know we're a semi-professional team, but Gibraltar's a lot more professional. The manager. Um, you know all the uh, analysis stuff and and everything, but you know they've got time to do that. Whereas obviously being part time, you don't have that that sort of luxury. But yeah, I just say it's you know it's a lot more a lot more professional as you'd expect. Um, you know you're playing against better opposition, so you've got to be prepared a lot more against these teams. So it's a special achievement for me because you know you don't you don't get too uh, too many people getting to play in the Euro qualifiers and stuff so I'm very fortunate and uh, I'm quite happy I was going to say it must be absolutely amazing give us some players you've played against the the one that stood out for me um, in the Nations League was um, Pandev he was at Macedonia he was just Ridiculous. You could tell that he had played like at the top top levels. Obviously, won the Champions League at Inter Milan. Um, They had this lad, Macedonia as well. I can't remember his name. He plays for plays for a Spanish team, and he just he ran the show um, away from home. Obviously, Alioski was there as well. Um, We've come up obviously against uh, Seamus Coleman um, last month, and Matt Doherty obviously scored in the semi for Wolves. So you know, coming up against them them kind of players and testing yourself against them, it's it's surreal. Is a good camaraderie between the words? Oh, massively, and I think that was the that's the biggest difference for me when when I went over four or five years ago. Maybe five years ago actually. Now uh, to now, it's just chalk and cheese. I mean, the he's, the, the manager Julio Rebas is, is built up now a young a real young team um, you know with the, the obviously emphasis on, on um, progressing over the next five to ten years and there's some really good players over there really really good young players so hopefully the the future looks bright for, for Gibraltar as a, as a national team so and back to
10: what, what do you think the uh, sort of mid-table you're not going to go down probably yeah. what are the ambitions here at this club
11: well if I'm being honest I think we've underachieved mm. massively um, you know I think we we set out to, especially when I come anyway, um, to, to make sure playoffs was a minimum and we haven't achieved that. But, you know, like any team, injuries and, and suspension, all the rest of it. But ultimately, um, the goal at the start of the season and, and Alphardon did got off to a flyer at the start. I think they were second in the table at, um, after the first five or six games. So, um, you yeah, know, I think from looking at, you know, at the start of the season to now, I, you know, I think anything but playoffs, was, was the was the aim, and that's not been that's not been achieved. So I can't say if I'm if I'm being brutally honest, it's we have underachieved as a as a whole team. So it's something that we look to improve on next year.
1: That is Reece Deitch and he didn't get on the pitch against Hereford. He did get on the pitch against Leamington on Saturday, but unfortunately they dropped to a three-one defeat. However, Dickie, we're not going to talk about that because. At the top of the table, Stockport, they lost surprisingly at home. And Chris said a change of formation and nervousness crept in. So that meant a chance for Charlie to take advantage. Now, Charlie don't give give away much at the back. But they went to Alchemy who do score goals. And it was an entertaining game at Moss Lane. Finished 5-3 to Altrincham. So those two results meant that Brackley could take advantage if they won at Spennymore. But they also slipped to defeat, which puts Spennymore on level points with Brackley and the rest of the playoff pack down to Telford in seventh. And that just, they're separated by just four points. So Dickie, make sense of it all.
2: Well, I I spoke about it last week. I I said about, um, you know, that it's how people respond under pressure. and, And as much as... I think Jim Gannon, certainly in his post-match interview after um, Stockport Slot yesterday, um, said it wasn't about pressure, then went on to say um, it's just one of these things where all of a sudden players can't do things like just take a throw in or whatever correctly. And, And why is that? Well, maybe it's pressure Jim you know <laughs> it, <laughs> I don't know you know you, we, uh, it, it, he's uh, he's clearly trying to sort of build up his team and say you know look you know it's not getting to us it's not pressure it's whatever but you know there's got to be hasn't there I think both teams knew what was at stake yesterday it was a potentially pivotal day uh, I think if if anybody had been predicting at the start of the day the likely outcomes they might have predicted the altering and went over surely because altering them are looking very strong at the moment I um, don't think any or many people outside of the North East would have predicted Stockport losing at home to Blythes. And if, if those two results had come to fruition, I think we'd have been talking about a gap of, I think it would have been five points then. And then possibly that game next week between uh, Stockport and Chorley at Chorley on Easter Saturday would have been uh, a title decider. It, it could still be that, Um but I don't think anybody could predict yesterday. And Brackley slipping up as well at Spenymore. He's been in awful form.
1: Yeah, well, I caught up with Brackley midfielder Matt Lowe during the week. He, he was captaining that FA11 down at Luton. And uh, I caught up with him just to talk about Brackley's chances towards the end of the season. So I'm here with uh, Matt Lowe for NL full-time. We're just in the, uh, the, the FA11 changing room. And Matt, it's not quite England Sea but it must still have been an honour for you tonight.
5: Yeah, it was really good. Obviously, I uh, enjoyed leading the boys out tonight thought we put on a really good performance. Obviously, first half, we're 2-0 down. It takes a little while to get used to players because pretty much none of us have really played together before. But I thought the uh, heart and desire we showed to come back and put in a really good performance second half, make it 3-2. Yeah, it was a really enjoyable night for us.
1: Something you could say, you've captained your country in a way tonight.
5: Yeah, yeah definitely. It's... um. Yeah, if you would have said that to me probably three years ago, or something when I'd come out of full-time football and wasn't too sure what I'd be doing and stuff like that, to, compared to where I am now, yeah, it's an honour. So I'm really happy and uh, really proud of the lads.
1: In terms of Brackley, I mean, you're in third position. Uh, Stockport have won tonight, uh, yeah. won well at Chester, 6 nil. Yeah. So they've gone top. I mean, do you, still, do you still, you're making a late run. Do you still believe you can win the title or is it more focusing on the playoffs now?
5: Realistically, obviously, you'd still like to hope if we go and beating to the end of the season, win every game it's still still categorically there's a chance but realistically our focus is probably going to be on the playoffs, we're coming on really strong, got a good good bunch of boys, really good team so hopefully we can uh, go one better this season and get promoted I was going to say the experience of last year probably stands you into good stead doesn't it? Yeah definitely obviously it's a bit of a disappointment losing in the playoff final, obviously we had the week after, kind of made up for it winning the FA Trophy but uh, yeah hopefully we'll go one better this season and get promoted
1: And that was Matt Lowell of Brackley Town. We're saying Altrincham have kind of they've gone under the radar this season. They had a really good win, 7-0 at Alfredton last Saturday. They beat Charlie 5-3. You saw them first hand on Tuesday, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I did, but um possibly but one of the best sides I've seen when I've yeah, we've seen everybody come to Telford and I've been on the road with Telford in all those games and, and they've really impressed me. Um Phil Parkinson hasn't made an awful lot of major changes to um to the side that came up and they just look like they've got that. That winning mentality and and that thing you said about flying under the radar, I think they've been in and around the playoff places for most of the season, but it's only in this last sort of like six, eight weeks or so that they've, they've come on really, really strong. And they're looking like a team that I don't think anybody would actually fancy playing at the moment.
1: Yeah, they've actually scored the most goals in the league now, more than Stockport, more than Charlie. So that just shows
2: the firepower they have going forward. Yeah, they have Jordan Humes, very impressive for them. I know Josh Hancock's uh, chipped in with a lot of goals as well. Um, and, and Yeah, they, they were getting goals from other sources yesterday, two goals from Sean Densmore, who's a, who's a defender. I know. One, yeah, they're, they're looking um, very strong. And that, they, they, I don't think they'd fear anybody in the playoffs at the moment.
1: It's funny, we're saying about Blyde Spartans, uh, they won at Stockport County. I interviewed Alan Armstrong at Ulsterham about a month ago, and he said, "Oh, forget about the playoffs." But they're only three points behind Telford now. Same number of games played. It's it's interesting, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I don't think Spartan fans will be uh, will be forgetting about the playoffs. Um, I think they're viewing them as a as a very realistic possibility now. And and yeah, they're right on Telford's tail. And and just it's pressure again, isn't it? Uh, Telford's form is actually quite good at the moment. I think apart from a one very bizarre loss at home to FC United, they haven't lost in the league since they lost at Stockport in mid-February. But yeah, it's just, just keeping your head or you know, just keeping your nose in front of Blythe at the moment with only three games left is uh, has got to be the objective.
1: Yeah, there was an interesting interview given by Alan Armstrong as well yesterday to the club's official site and official YouTube channel where he basically said, that they need more investment. He says he's got the best squad of players that he's possibly got with the budget that he's had. And he said he's he's almost threatened to leave a couple of times due to not being backed. It's uh, probably not the time to come out and say stuff like that, but it is interesting times, isn't
2: it? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure about the timing. I mean, I know Blythe themselves put out a statement probably six weeks or so ago saying that um, imploring more fans to come along you know stressed and Armstrong had put together but saying that you know they, they basically needed more support now Alan Armstrong is saying that you know they need more investment as well, so yeah it's it's a bit of a i 'm sure it 's a very calculated thing for him to say, and I don 't mean that in a in a in a really cynical way, but i 'm sure it 's something that he 's thought out before he said it that it 's not just sort of like come off the top of his head and and I guess with seeing the results that they 're getting and seeing how close they are. I guess what he's saying is, and there's a bit of frustration in there that you know, with that little bit more support, with that little bit more investment, they could be comfortably in the playoffs. Is is perhaps what he's thinking?
1: Just looking at the bottom, uh, Geisley played Ashton. It was a huge game down there. And it finished one-all. The goals were two minutes apart as well. But Kingsley James opening the scoring, but Sam Sheridan equalised.
2: And guys will be more pleased. They'll actually be pleased with a draw for once, I think. I mean, we know they're the draw specialists. I think that's their 17th draw and yet another 1-1. Probably could have predicted that before yesterday. But yeah, that keeps the gap between them and Ashton to four points. I think I've worked out that um, FC United, if they get anything less than a win in their next game, then, then... They're gone. They're relegated. So it's looking difficult for them. Ashton still had that little window of opportunity yesterday. And if they could have got the additional points, that would have closed the gap to one. As it is, it's four. I don't think it's going to be decided next Saturday, but it certainly could be decided by the time the Easter weekend is finished.
1: And Rob, you've got the predictions there.
3: Yeah, our predictions in the north. Well, this is going to be uh, another example of how uh, we really don't know what we're talking about. The top man for predicting what's going to happen in the North this year is Tom in the South. <laughs> <laughs> and as we'll find out in a bit, the, uh, the the top predictions in the South came from somebody in the North. So uh, what do we know about these uh, divisions we're supposed to be experts in? As far as the title winners, well, three of us shamefully went for Southport. I thought about maybe scrubbing out a few letters of that and putting an, a, a C and a K in there and seeing if we could get away with it. But uh, Brackley, Chris went for, so uh, I don't think we're going to get the title winners. Only Chris was brave enough to predict Stockport County to be uh, promoted as playoff winners. In terms of picking out teams that are in the playoff positions, well, Chris picked Stockport and Bradford Park Avenue. Luke, you picked Brackley and Stockport. Uh, I picked Brackley, Stockport as well, and uh, Tom picked Stockport. Chester, his points uh, have come at the other end where he correctly has predicted that Ashton United and FC United so far to finish in the bottom three. Um, Luke, you got a couple of those right as well. The same two teams, FC United and Ashton United. Chris got Ashton United and so did I. And that's it. Um, One or two of the other teams that are down the bottom. We didn't see it coming, boys.
1: I think... I don't want to bring it up again, but didn't Chris predict Spennymore to go down as well?
3: He did. He picked Leamington and Spennymore to go down as well. You picked Curzon, who I think should be okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, Curzon a
3: fan. And Tom picked Blythe, who were doing a little bit better than that. Uh, in terms of the top scorer, well, we've, we've lucked out here. Um, uh, the Northern boys, Chris and Luke, went for John Parkin at York City. And Tom and I, what did we know? We went for Simon Ainge at Darlington. Yep, no, Simon Ainge
0: managed the grand total of
3: four. Well, we really should have thrown to Tom on the goal scorers because Tom has got, listeners, the best spreadsheet, the biggest spreadsheet in the world about the scorers in levels one to what is it, six? Uh, one to three. One, one to three. Sorry, I bigged you up too much there,
0: Tom. <laughs> well, Can you imagine trying to put it together for level six? Yeah, we're
3: disappointed in you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so i think john parkin's got three league goals i'm talking john parkin's got three and simon has got four so uh, it's fair to say we've all smashed that there yeah we're well ahead of the northern boys tom
1: brill so we're going to look at the national league south now
6: hi i'm Jake robinson and you're listening to the nl full-time podcast
1: and congratulations to tarkey who went up as champions and they, they stayed full-time i mean how do you think They'll do. I know Lee Bradbury said that basically the gap between the South and the National League was bigger than expected. I know haven't were part-time, but do you think with Gary Johnson's experience there that Torquay will be, be fine next year?
0: Absolutely. Gary Johnson's put together a really good squad. In my mind, there's absolutely no doubt that they, they won't struggle in the National League next season. The one question mark they have is um, how well they'll be able to keep keep mining this relationship with Bristol City. Um, two of their most important players this season in terms of uh, goals have been Saiku Jane and Jake Andrews, both of whom are on loan from, uh, from Gary Jenkins' former club. So it remains to be seen if they're able to keep using that relationship to such good effect. If they can um, and they can support the players they've already got down there on full-time contracts, then uh, I, I don't think they'll have any issues next season.
1: And Wilkins, as well there in the, the hot seat to finish second and all well in a chasing and Woking again suffered a defeat on Saturday they lost 2-0 at Chelmsford who were firmly ensconced in the playoffs as we said they never as we heard last week from John Reed at Chelmsford they never really do well in the playoffs so can this be their year well in a hot on there, were hot on Woking's heels if they'd have won they'd have closed the gap to two points but they went down to a defeat at Slough we are having Tom a fantastic end of the season even though the mid-table
0: yeah Slough are second in the form tables for National League South now um They've won four out of their last five. They haven't lost since 23rd of February, which for a promoted side to go almost two months without a defeat is pretty exceptional. In terms of Chelmsford beating Woking, given the disappointment Woking faced last weekend against Torquay, I don't think it's overly surprising that they've lost away at Chelmsford. Chelmsford and Welling have now opened up a five and six point gap, respectively, over Bath City in fifth. So, they're looking pretty good for, for having the top four nailed on now, really. And one person we don't really speak about a lot on this podcast, but we should, is Reese Murphy. We've talked about Jamie Reid and his 28 goals mm. for the season, which is astonishing considering how poor he looked under Gary Owens at the beginning of the year. And we've talked about Kabongo Shimanga getting 22 for Oxford. Um, but Rhys Murphy has just quietly kept plugging away all season at Chelmsford. He's got 23 for the season now. And, and what's remarkable about him is he does it every year. Um, every year you can guarantee he'll be a 20-goal scorer. Um so at this level maybe he could be the difference for Chelmsford when they get to the playoffs this season. Maybe it will be their year.
1: Yeah, loads of experience as well. Hasn't he Reese Murphy played at the likes of Gillingham and and Dagenham when they're in the league and I think he's enjoying his, his football. He's lo- it's local to him Chelmsford and you can see that it's, it's that bit of extra class isn't it? Isn't it?
0: Yeah, he's a good he's a really good player. Um you know as a as an Arsenal fan as a kid I remember him from uh, when he came through at Arsenal, I remember his football manager days. He's, he's from the South Coast. He's enjoying his football down at Chelmsford. Uh, you know, he's had so many different clubs in his career. But his record at Chelmsford, 23 goals in 34 appearances. It's his best season of his career. And uh, yeah, fair play to him.
1: And you mentioned Kabongo Shimanga as well. He didn't score on Saturday for Oxford City. He did play for the uh, the FA 11. And unfortunately, didn't go quite well for him. He went off injured after about... Ten minutes of coming on as a substitute, but I caught up with him after the game to speak about that and also his season at Oxford City. So I'm in with Kabongo Shimanga and um, you played tonight for the FA11. Didn't quite go as you wanted. you yeah, came on at yeah. time and then uh, just went off with an injury. Is it anything serious? Or?
12: No, no. Hopefully not. Um, I mean, the physio obviously done his check over there towards the end. Um, I think I can feel a bit of a like a little bit, bit like a twitch or whatever. Like I look to do a sprint, so um, nothing serious. Hopefully.
1: OK, and the reason you made it in the squad as well with your farm for Oxford City, I mean, it's the best farm of your career, in it, goal-scoring-wise?
12: Yeah, it's been very good. I mean, I've played a lot of games this year, which has obviously helped me a lot. And obviously, I've obviously managed to score quite a lot of goals for my club, and it's looking good for me at the moment, yeah. Uh, what, what is the
1: secret? Because I know a lot of people go, oh, um, as long as the team wins, are not that bothered, but on a personal level for you, it's been, it's been amazing, hasn't it?
12: Yeah, it has. It's been good. I mean, um, obviously, we want know. Being a striker, obviously you're not, you know, you're you're in the team so obviously score goals. So um, that's always that's that's what I've tried to do throughout the year, and um, luckily yeah, it's paid off for me. Do
1: you feel settled there now? Because obviously since you've left MK, you've had a lot of uh, loan moves as well. Yeah. You're at Boston, kind of it stops out at Boston, when it but I like, say this year it's kind of. Do you think you feel settled at Oxford now?
12: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Boston United obviously didn't go as what as what I wanted to. I, I obviously went there to play a lot of games and. Yeah. That couldn't come my ways. But um, Oxford has been great with me, the manager has been good with me, and um, I've literally played every game yeah. this year. And yeah, I've shown him what I could do. And you, I've
1: seen reports being linking linking with league clubs, especially like Exeter City. I mean, do, do you ignore that? Or do you thrive on it? Does it put extra pressure on you? Or?
12: No, not, 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 not really. I mean, every game you've just got to take it a game at a time, really, and just look to just continue delivering obviously me being a striker obviously you want to score goals you want to help the team win I just look to focus on that and look to you know everything else you just sort of let um, I let my agent take care of that for me
1: and I suppose something like this tonight puts you in the shop window and it's something you're looking to get back into into Football League I'm guessing
12: exactly exactly I mean obviously it didn't plan out the way yeah. I wanted to, but um, yeah, I mean, to get the recognition is obviously good. Is a good platform, to sort of build on. And
1: that was Kabongo Shimanga and Tom. He's had a season beyond his wildest dreams, hasn't he?
12: Yeah, he
0: has. He's been brilliant. But again, this has been his best goal-scoring season of his career. Um, he seems to have found the real home at Oxford City. You know, Mark Jones is bringing the best out of him up front. It'll be interesting to see if they can keep holding him because he's exactly a sort of striker. The, the National League clubs will be looking at
12: I
1: mean I did mention it to him in his interview and that he's had, he's had a lot of loans including one to Iceland in his career in, in these sort of five years
0: is a good club but it'd be interesting to see where they would be in the league without him this season because he has been so important for them and they got the win yesterday away at Concord which in my opinion it, it could really spell the end of Concord's playoff hopes they're now three points off but um, there's some, some sides in good form above them in the likes of Town and St Albans City. They're three points off, but they've got the best goal difference of any of the sides um, up to sixth. So that three-point deduction for fielding an eligible player really is costing them.
1: Yeah, and they've got they've got a game in hand as well because the abandoned game last week against truro has been ordered to be replayed by the National League. and. There's been a bit of a, a bit of bickering between the two clubs on Twitter this week, Tommy. I, I think I put down that they need to get a room together. They've kind of been trading insults, haven't they?
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's primary school playground stuff, isn't it? Really. Um, I'm half expecting uh, Pete Masters to go and pull Sam Bezzant's hair at the weekend or something. It's going to be replayed on Tuesday. This isn't the first time Truro City have done this, and under Pete Masters, they've not only alienated some of the opposition clubs, but they've alienated a lot of their fans as well. You know, he, he's coming out and giving statements to the press about how well if the game hadn't been abandoned Truro City might have got a penalty for the foul on Michael Irvey you know it happened on the halfway line what world do we live in where uh, an owner of a football club is coming out with nonsense like that to be honest you know I've got a lot of time for Truro City but they're one place above the relegation zone all of East Thurrock, Hungerford and Western Supermerick have been picking up results recently um, and it, it's easy to see Truro getting sucked in Um and given the way they've conducted themselves at times over the last two seasons, I don't think there'd be a lot of people in
1: the National League South that would be sorry to see them go. Yeah, and, and just, to, just to say that the um, the T3 t- we spoke to, the Truro Independent Supporters Association, kind of distanced, distanced themselves from Peter Masters' comments as well this week. So, talking of Western, Tom, now, they're only six points adrift. They've stopped the manager search because they thought, well, there's no real point because of the ine- inevitable relegation, but they've got enough games, if they win two, two of those games, to, to spring out. Of the relegation zone, if results go for them, they won three two at East Thurrock as well, and that's pulled them within two points of East Thurrock and within six of Truro.
0: Yeah, they do, Um, and it's gonna—it's such an interesting um, run into the to the finish line now. The really crucial part of it is that everybody down at the bottom is picking up wins that you don't necessarily expect them to pick up. Um, When you look at East Thurrock, Western Supermare um, Gloucester City and Hungerford Town all those four teams who were really deep in the relegation conversation none of them are in the bottom three on the form tables over the last six games Truro City and Eastbourne Borough both are and I can still I stand by what I said last week that I can see one or both of them getting sucked down there Western probably have the hardest job of the other teams to get themselves out of it um, Gloucester City they're up in 18th they may be looking at it and thinking that one more win is enough for them as I said last week Dulwich Hamlet and Hampton, Hampton and Richmond have both pulled themselves clear now they both got wins yesterday as well, um, so you know you can be confident that they're they're well clear of, of danger now. It really is still impossible to call, and there's there's five six teams who realistically you can make an argument for either going down or staying up.
3: Okay, in terms of our National League South predictions, we all did pretty well actually. Although you northern boys are just shading me and Tom, uh, but we got a real smattering. I think we've we've, we've averaged about five of the top seven. Between us, and uh, that either says that we're brilliant forecasters or this was the most predictable league of the three. Uh, congratulations to Chris Pratt. He was the only one that predicted Torquay to win the title, and they have uh, duly done so. So, congratulations to him. But, uh, other than that, yeah, uh, most of us have got four or five of the uh, top seven sorted. At the other end, well, we've all got one team right uh, as the league table stands at the moment. Uh, Chris picked East Thurrock to be in the bottom three Luke you picked Western Supermare And Tom and I picked Hungerford Town Top goal scorers Well we went for four different ones Matt Patterson Who uh, started the season of course at Oxford City Uh, He's now back at Haven in the National League Premier Uh, Brett Williams for Torquay Uh, That was uh, your prediction Luke And uh, (laughs) Tom and I went for the Tom and I went for the Ricky duo as they were at the time, Jake Robinson and Adam Coombs. And whilst of them going to get top scorer in the division, pretty tight between the two
0: for Ricky, isn't it, Tom? Yes, Adam Coombs has 15, Jake Robinson has 13, but Moses Emanuel is now Billericay town's top scorer with 16.
1: In step three, we've got to say congratulations to Kettering. They finally secured promotion by winning at Hales Owen. They look like... the Probably will be going into the National League North next season, I think.
0: Yeah, almost certainly, really. Um, you know, part of it will come down to uh, which of the two, which two of the four sides who win the playoffs actually get promoted on the points per game basis. If it's um, a team from the Evo Stick North and from the Southern Premier Central, then it'll be a bit bit easier for them to split the leagues next season. But um, whichever, whichever way it goes, Kettering will be in the Northern League uh, because with four Southern sides going down from the National League, um realistically, we're probably going to be looking at Gloucester and or Oxford playing the North anyway next season.
1: And finally, I know, Tom, we, we wanted to just congratulate Jamie he, he He's 42 now, I think, and he, he can't stop scoring, can he?
0: Yeah, 43 years old. He's played 999 games. He got two yesterday, um, which brings him up to his 358th and 359th of his career. It's incredible longevity, but also at the age of 43, he's the top scorer in the division. So a fan- fantastic achievement by Jamie Cureton. Um he's almost certain to rack up his thousandth appearance of his career which is just astonishing
3: just a final thing on Tom and his spreadsheet a big thanks to Tom who's tracked our listens over the last couple of years and we're really delighted to say listeners that uh, our regular listening base has doubled uh, from last season, so thank you very much for your support
0: of the podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's been fantastic to see so many people getting behind the podcast. Dickie, thanks for joining us.
0: You're very welcome,
1: Luke. Cheers, Tom. Speak to you later. Yeah,
0: nice to speak to you guys. Well,
1: th- thanks for joining us again, Rob.
0: Pleasure as always, Luke.
1: Nice one. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. Tweet us as well at NL Fulltime or email us at gmail dot com. And until then, thank you all for listening and we'll speak to you next
10: week.